0: Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and this is Kieran, nicknamed Mystic Girl in the City. I interviewed Kieran about two years ago, and at the time, uh, you know, we both wanted to do another one eventually. I'm up in Vancouver to do a series of interviews and attend a retreat. So those of you who watch Bat Gap regularly will see a whole batch of them come up in the next few days or weeks. A lot of questions were sent in after Karen's first interview, and I would actually suggest that people watching this interview watch that one first if you haven't already done so, because it'll kind of give you a background of who Karen is and what she's been through and so on. We don't want to rehash all those points in this interview. But a lot of questions were sent in from people, and uh, she and her helpers have collected a bunch of them, so I'm going to ask her some of those during this interview, and also my own Variations on those questions and little devil's advocate points and anything else that comes to mind. Since it's my experience and observation that people just keep growing and there's no end to it, I'm always curious if I'm re-interviewing somebody after a couple of years if, if you can possibly remember <laughs> like where you were at two years ago. How do you feel you've grown since then?
1: That's a beautiful question. I think it's a really valuable question because it's like, what's the evolution for all of us are always evolving, but what's the evolution like for awakened clarity? So I would say, you know, the biggest part for me is that the last time we spoke, I had just begun to teach. I had resisted it for such a long time, even though there'd been a lot of pressure from a lot of really great teachers, really suggesting that that was the right home for me and the right place for me, and I was very resistant about it. So since then, although it's only been a couple of years, I have worked with thousands of people now, globally, all over the world. Or
0: Skype or something?
1: Um, I actually work through the phone. I have such a sensitivity to bandwidths and things. Not problematically, but it's nicer to work on the phone. I think that it's more accessible for people also to just pick up a phone. So I work with people globally, mostly doing private sessions, because that's what I love to do, because I really want to find out exactly where your freedom gets lost. I want to know exactly the moment in your day, in your week, in your life, in your relationship. Like, what happened? Where was the click? And, and because I have um, what people would call clairvoyancy, but it's actually just a part of being very, very mindless, so to speak, I can feel the field. So I can feel people's energetic fields and I can get a sense of how their system is moving against what blocks. So anyways, a private session is really, Great! I love to work with people that way.
0: So when you say you, you can, you want to detect when the freedom gets lost. Does that imply that generally people are free, and then at certain points they get stuck?
1: Well, our true nature is freedom, and it we is. don't have to become aware of that to be what we are. We are freedom. I mean, it's naturally what we are. But does that do
0: you any good if you're not aware of it?
1: I think it's innate. I think it, it, it's. I think awareness itself is already aware of it. But we are so profoundly conditioned, not consciously, but unconsciously through our families, through our cultures, and through our societies to live under a certain amount of lack and limitation. So basically the entire conditioning of our childhood creates this mental loop that goes lack and limitation, lack and limitation, lack and limitation, lack and limitation. And that's how we live with this lack and limitation story and filter. And that's what impacts our freedom. And
0: that's how the vast majority of people do live.
1: that's how the vast majority of people do live. And so when I work with people, I can feel some of the major operating belief systems that are part of that. And and we can work to pull them out so that they can begin to experience the freedom that they already are.
0: So would you summarize then to say that one of the main thing you do with people is unravel some of their most limiting belief systems and that by doing that they experience an upsurge in freedom
1: yeah absolutely i mean that's exactly what i what my specific focus is as a teacher is finding where the pain and fear and deeply rooted toxic conditioning is sitting in your system not just belief systems in the head, but belief systems in the body. I mean, they're very implanted physically. So I give people a very concrete map of how to pull them out. And then through working together, we can find where they all are. And again, and again, and again, I have have lots of people that I work with that as soon as you pull one of those deep core ones out of your system, What's left is freedom.
0: Could you give us a specific example of somebody with whom you've done that without mentioning their name, obviously? But, you know, so Joe Schmo, you worked with him, and (laughs) and this particular. I did
1: work with Joe Schmo. (laughs) Did you you know Joe? (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: small world. And so, you know, you, you, this, this and this happened, and then he experienced this, and his life changed in such and such oh, a way.
1: Oh, you know what? Like, you can just go to my website, and all the testimonials will show you all that. So there's tons and tons and tons of stuff there. But, uh, yeah, so across the board, very consistently, that's what happens. But let's use an example of Joe Schmo. Well, I, you know what? I'm going to use the example of... Jane Schmo. Jane Schmo. Okay, Jane Schmo, who came to me, read my book, actually was recommended my book, Tools for Sanity, through her boss had brought her this book. He loved the book. And so she read the book, then called me and said, I'm going to come to you, and I am so committed to leaving all the blocks And just having some connection to myself, to my body, all the constriction in my life, I am ready for it to be over. So I want to fly to you and I want to stay near you in your town. And I just want to do it all, which was so great. And I laughed and I said, it doesn't look like that. Healing doesn't look like that. But you stay in your home where you are in your life up against all the things that block your freedom and let's start working together. And so I'd say it took about six months to start to be unraveled of, some, of a good handful of the major ones. And the direct experience, I mean, like, I have so many, like again and again and again, the direct experience is tremendous amount of freedom. Externally, her life looks totally different. She works for an entirely different company. She makes 10 times the money she was making. She, she lives in a, the town she always wanted to live in instead of you know, the big city where she thought she had to be. She moved to the smaller town. She bought her dream home. She is now best friends with her then new, newly separated relationship. Her her marriage of a long time, newly separated. But now she's reestablished a very close friendship and they found the proper relationship. She's got new relationships with her kids. You know, like, because everything that was in the way of all of that was not her lack of knowing where freedom was it was her toxic conditioning and beliefs and when we pull those away there's nothing here but reality and freedom and toxic conditioning so we pull off the toxic conditioning and you just bang up against a spaciousness and a freedom now this is not someone who is necessarily awakened
0: yeah I was just going to say because all the things you just mentioned are of course important and there are so many different self-improvement kind of things out there that promise to help you gain better relationships and a better job and a better house and more money and, and this and that, and that's all they focus on.
1: Yeah, but if you can't go to the core belief systems that are in the way, your own conditioning about what's stopping that, it doesn't matter what you put on top of it. It's, right. you know, that what you put on top of it is skill, possibly. And skill, even you had mentioned this briefly before we hit the record, but skill is the easiest thing to get. I mean, you can just learn skill. And so that stuff is skill, but without actually healing and reprogramming our systems, healing meaning pull out the junk, reprogramming is to rewire ourselves towards sanity. Now you add skill. Now your freedom is very available externally in material world. world but internally, there's the spaciousness to know that this is a play this is a a joyful playful realm to just wander around in (laughs) have a good time with (laughs) enjoy and there's a lot more enjoyment but across the board across the board across the board you can you can talk to anybody they work with but it's like this internal movement where it's like oh all the pain in my life is these deeply insane conditionings that had needed a lot of support not necessarily skill although skill is a great thing but skill over top of pain and toxic is, is not going to help Yeah,
0: I totally agree that it's important to root out the pain and toxicity and the deep conditioning and so on and so forth not only for the sake of living a more happy life in terms of your relationships and all all the things that you know People care about, but also in terms of the whole spiritual awakening thing. I mean, if you're carrying all that baggage, and, and you know what this show is primarily about is spiritual awakening. Some people uh, have seem to have the attitude that. All this surface stuff doesn't matter, you know, your job, your relationships and all that. What really matters is, you know, to hell with all that, it's an illusion. What, what really matters is your spiritual realization. I would tend to think more in terms of 200% that, that you want the whole package and that if, if spiritual awakening is genuine, then it should percolate up into a smoother, more conflict-free, more successful life. Do you agree with that? And is that kind of your orientation? or Because or, so far the well, emphasis the truth has been... Well,
1: the truth of the matter is, is that you can, ha- you can have it all. It's your who and what you are. And so I certainly understand that point of view that says, well, this is illusionary, this is a dream, and there's just nothing more important than being connected to this deep field of being and this deep presence. And there are certainly a lot of people and certainly a lot of amazing teachers that that's really the point of view and the perspective. And I think that that's profoundly valuable and I and I get it. It's not my orientation. It's not who I am as a teacher. A, I don't think I need to do it. We have people like Muji and Ajashanti and Rupert uh, Spira who are these extraordinarily skilled teachers to teach you about what is... This deep field of stillness, and what is reality? I find Ajashanti to be extraordinarily articulate, like in the of the inarticulate, you know. So I don't need to repeat the wheel that they have so masterfully done, and it's not my way. So for me, uh, what I teach and what I bring and how I live is a, is about very much where that includes form yeah. and how form is essential, but it's if you just focus on the form and you lose track of the profound piece of the formlessness that is creating it all in this moment, the form is very empty. And if you only focus on the internal stuff, which many people will know in these masterful teachers I talk about, the stillness is very empty. The spaciousness is very empty. So for where I stand and how I experience reality the point of the vast spacious stillness is form. I mean, consciousness is forming. It's so, for me, from my perspective, it's such an incredibly obvious thing. It's a miracle that there's all this spaciousness, and then here it is. It comes into these forms of our bodies and our lives, and it feels so clear to me that that's the point of it. So it has to include it. Now, I think the difference between when I work with, Joe Schmo and all the Joshmos, many of whom do not even necessarily know about enlightenment or not enlightenment. They're just coming to me for support with a very accelerated path of healing. What they can get is a, is a tremendous internal freedom as well as great functioning outside. So for me, what I consider awakening or enlightenment is when the apparatus that identifies as this separate being dissolves. And it can't come back. And there's, so there's this, you know, for me, it happens suddenly one day. The My identification
0: mind, dissolved, not the, the apparatus. Ab- I mean, this is your apparatus. The
1: apparatus that allows me to identify ah. dissolved. Okay. Yeah. So all of this, all this is the same as this is the same as this, right? This is all form. But it, there's an inability here to identify that little, whatever that little switch was. So the people I work with who are not awakened or haven't had that apparatus switch off, they they have equal access to freedom, and they can live freedom. The thing that dissolves that apparatus so that there's no more ability to identify is personally, I think, is not in our hands. I think it's a bit like falling in love. It's essential, it's inevitable, it will happen to every single being at some point, point the ability to control that apparatus, I don't think is something in our control. I
0: have two points on that. Well, using your falling in love metaphor, if you, let's say, spend your time hanging out in strip joints or something, you're not likely to meet the kind of person that you're really going to fall in love with. Whereas if you engage in activities with people who resonate with your way of being then you're more likely to, let's say you're into meditation or something you, you go to meditation retreats you might meet a person who is resonant with, with your way of being so the second part of that metaphor is if you just do whatever the hell you please all your life without any attention or thought given to spiritual development spiritual awakening may happen I mean, it did in your case, uh, out of the blue. But that, that's like sort of playing the lottery as a retirement plan. It's not going to happen to too many people. Whereas there's a, more of a track record of people who've actually focused on this kind of thing, awakening.
1: I think it goes like this. I think your point is really true. This is how I explain it. Let's use the metaphor of love. We'll stay there. So let's say one day you're just going about your average life and you're at the bus stop. And there's a, a woman at the bus stop. And for some magical reason you connect and you chat. And you chat to the point that you actually, it just becomes very natural to exchange numbers and go get a coffee. And as you get on the bus, it's so magical and rare that that, like you're at the bus every day. You've even met a woman or two, but you've never gotten to that place. But it was just this form of magic. Now, say you go on a date or two and nothing much happens from it. It was a nice person, la, la, la. However, now you know magic is possible Mm. and you're available. So now when you're at a bookstore, you're at your class or you're walking down the street, there's a part of you that's waiting for the magic that's looking for it, that knows this about life now, that it could happen to you. And so a part of you becomes available and willing. And a part of you also becomes very curiously engaged with this dance of magic and now yes that person's going to now become available to all kinds of opportunities that were happening way before the bus stop you know but they were closed to it they weren't available to it for whatever reason but now these little love and I think also something like enlightenment these are ephemeral things And so I think the the direct interface that we might have in our lives at some point, which may be listening to a a Buddha at the gas pump, which is highly effective, or listening to a spiritual teacher or something, is like that bus stop meeting. And now you know there's this magic. And so, of course, you cannot go back to the bus stop and expect the next person to come. It's not going to happen exactly that way again, but it makes you available. And starting to notice what's actually here, what's what's around.
0: Yeah. So in case people are getting lost in the metaphor, what, we're, what we started talking about here was whether spiritual awakening just happens out of the blue by accident. and You have no control over making it more probable or likely, or whether you can actually, by where you put your attention and, and how you spend your energy, uh, make the likelihood of it. Greater.
1: Yeah, I would say, I would agree with you because I say it's not in our hands whether we fall in love or not, but it's definitely in our hands the opportunity to fall in love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if the kind if of we people are, we hang out with the, in the, the way environments, we, how open we are, yeah, right. how available. Right.
0: How we culture our, our personality and yeah. our life to make us potentially more interesting to somebody and you know, things like but that. But
1: some people are deeply called to fall in love yeah. and others are not. Right. And we and that's a mystery. Those that are deeply called to fall in love are going to be cultivating it anyway because it nourishes them. The cultivation is nourishing. They're not more likely to fall in love, frankly. Than the people who are not true Because it's inevitable I don't know about
0: that We're all going to do that This falling in love business is just a metaphor
1: (laughs) It's a good metaphor Because it's very similar It's like guess what coming home is It's love Yeah so translating You're
0: saying some people are just uh, more likely to fall in love Because they're they're inclined to Some people are more likely to get awakened or enlightened Because the flow of their life is in that direction Or around that interest No
1: the thing that I'm totally agreeing with you with is that little thing. It's like, I think across the board, we all have equal opportunity for enlightenment and it's not in our hands. However, what is in our hands is the probability, like the probability to cultivate it. So we can be in dating coach seminars, and we can go to singles events and matchmaking. You know, we can go to meditation. We can go to satsang. We can follow teachers. We can read books. I project if you're doing that, that was your natural call to begin with, and that is a nourishment in itself. And does that make you more likely to actually become enlightened? And again, I'm quite frankly, I'm the wrong person to ask these questions with because none of this is the focus of my teaching. Because I could give a four- lying F <laughs> about enlightenment or non-enlightenment. Like, pfft, I could care less. So, Odge is the person to really have this conversation with, or Rupert. But from my point of view, having become massively enlightened, meeting people all the time in my practice, who were totally unaware that it even existed, never been to a meditation, never went to a talk, never had any relationship to it at all. And out of the blue, it happens, happens, happens. And tons of people who are incredibly devoted. And it's their heart's true passion. And It hasn't occurred and I don't think it's because of an action one is doing and not the other I think it's because like love it's out of our hands But I hope that you're listening to these talks and doing meditations because they nourish you as opposed to Drive a sense of failure in you a sense of not good enough or haven't gotten there yet
0: Well, it's an interesting discussion actually. I mean, it's a cart and horse kind of question are people interested in meditation and stuff like that because they're destined to, to awaken pretty soon and therefore it's piqued their interest in these things? Or do they awaken because they've gotten interested in meditation and, and done all these things? I, I'm not sure. It's chicken and egg, you know?
1: It's very chicken and egg. Yeah, yeah and it's very based on the perspective of who's talking. Yeah. Very chicken and I, egg. And I don't know if we can. From the chicken, oh. one point of view, from the egg, another.
0: Huh. So There's that old Zen saying, which I've said far too many times in interviews, which is that enlightenment may be an accident but spiritual practice Just makes you accident prone.
1: And which I think is exactly true yeah. and you could exactly falling in love is an accident. But being available and knowing magic exists and love exists makes it probable, and it's so sweet to get to know love. Whether you fall in love or not doesn't take you out of love. So in satsang, in a conversation like this, in a book, it doesn't mean, it's not like you're enlightened or not, it's you getting to know this vast, spacious, beautiful field here and the true nature that we are all this consciousness you get to experience that now, not one day.
0: Yeah. I mean, you speak of that rather adoringly, like that's a, that's a wonderful experience to have and, and, and it's a blessing for anyone to have it and so on. So how does that reconcile with what you said a minute ago that you could give a flying F about enlightenment? I mean, Because you don't have
1: to be enlightened to experience it. You can listen to this conversation and get to know a bit more about consciousness.
0: So you can have a taste of
1: it. Yeah, just like you, know, you may not fall in love. But you are putting yourself around love and feeling love. And that's a beautiful thing. So it's a beautiful thing to get to know stillness. Do you have to be enlightened to be stillness? No.
0: But it sounds to me like you're saying that, like we're comparing glimpses with the full enchilada of of the thing. So there's all kinds of glimpses of love and bliss and stillness and peace and all sorts of things like that. But enlightenment would be all those glimpses in spades, 24 seven.
1: Well, you're married, so you're in love with a wonderful person, right? So do you experience love more than Mark or do you have somebody else? Yeah. Okay. So do you experience love much more than someone who's single?
0: Not necessarily, not
1: necessarily, but. Do you have the whole enchilada and they don't?
0: No, but uh, let's keep dwelling on this. Let's
1: let's try to... to, I I
0: don't know if this metaphor is serving us very well. Um,
1: I think it's exactly on point. It's the same exact thing. Like we all know
0: spiritual seekers. And maybe they've been meditating for decades.
1: That's the single person.
0: They've had all sorts of glimpses and tastes and wonderful experiences. And those things come and go. And then, you know, at a certain point maybe... Something shifts for them and they wake up in a way which, well, many of them say all those little, all those experiences and glimpses didn't do justice to this. This is not an experience. This is not just bliss. This is not just, you know, some insight. And do they
1: say that now this is the first time they've ever known that and it's never been here before?
0: Well, maybe some do, but I think I, more often than, than that, I hear people say, "Wow, this has always been here." Bang, bang. Nev- that's my point. And I never that's recognized it. it.
1: That's my point. Right. Right there.
0: But by that token, it's like okay, another metaphor. Everybody in the world is a millionaire. They have a million dollars in the bank. But hardly anybody has been told they have a million in the bank and among those who've been told it, hardly anybody's been given access to the bank account. And then, you know, a few people get access to the bank account, and get their million, and begin living like millionaires. So, you know, every seven billion analogy. people in the world. The reason
1: world, that one doesn't work the same way is because somebody's controlling their money and they don't have access to it. Love or our true nature no one's controlling it. We always have access to it. So you may not know anything about it, but you have a sunset. You had a new baby or a grandbaby. You had a first love when you were 16. All the time, it's like, if you were going to use your current analogy of money, you'd say like, suddenly there was a million dollars in front of me. Then there was a million dollars and I spent it and I used it. And I realized... The reason that analogy doesn't work is it's in a bank controlled and no one knows about it. And that's not true about who we are and what we are.
0: Right, but the fact remains that the vast majority of people in the world, 99.999 something percent, aren't awake to their true nature.
1: And nor do they they need to be in order to be their true nature. 99.9% of people in the entire world have had moments, if not weeks or months where they had a complete sense of there's something more here there's magic in the world what i'm looking at and who i'm thinking is not everything that's here questions of who am i like no one needs to teach people that so what's the
0: difference between somebody who is awake to their true nature and somebody who doesn't need to be as you just put it but is
1: free of all toxic conditioning so let's say, what's the difference between someone who's awake to their true nature versus someone who's entirely free of toxic conditioning? It still is conditioning because this is a condition, but it's, there's nothing toxic. There's no story of lack or limitation. What's the difference between the two? This one has no ability to identify. The apparatus that makes one identify is gone.
0: Define identify.
1: I am these stories in my head. I am this lack of limitation. I am this name. I am this body. I am this person. This one still has identification. That's the only difference.
0: Okay, but this one's free of toxic conditioning.
1: It's all just dreams. This one's lucid dreaming. This one's not lucid dreaming. It's exactly the same. Same, same, same one. We're all the same. Same dreamer dreaming exactly the same. This one dreams lucidly. What's the difference of a lucid dream versus, you know, you're both having great dreams. You're both having flying dreams. This one knows I am dreaming a flying dream. This one says, "Woo, I'm flying.
0: Right. That's the difference. And are you saying that there's no qualitative difference between those two uh that there's no preference between one or the other or are you saying it would be good to shift this one over to
1: that one it would i don't have preferences you don't you have have preferences or others might have preferences and it's not my job to argue it why don't you because i can see you and i are one yeah we're exactly the same you are myself yeah having this extraordinary experience of you over here You are the same having this, like, it's all, it's all just one. And I know that there's, I know there's no difference between us. I don't think that it's better to be me than you
0: at all no of course not but on the level of me and you we're not talking about the oneness we're talking about individuality but in the level
1: of oneness I don't think from oneness doesn't wish it was me not you (laughs) oneness is very gloriously in love with every moment of Rick and would not miss one moment of it not one moment it's so delicious amazing
0: it's anthropomorphizing to say this, but does oneness want to awaken in the form of Kieran or Rick or Mark or anybody? Is, is there sort of a an innate drive within the oneness to awaken to itself within form?
1: We, we talked about this in our first did, interview. Yeah, yeah so in my answer, I have to say, is the same. Here's a different way to answer the same question. In every moment, we have this... Freedom. We have free will. We are, we are who we are who we are. A dog is a dog is a dog. It doesn't need to know it's a dog to know it's a dog. We are innately free. We are beings of conscious, uh, as consciousness. We are consciousness coming into form. And in every moment, there's this vast free choice. Freedom is very, very, very big. And we are welcome to choose our conditioning. So we're welcome to, let's just say in a moment, you're in the grocery store, and your neighbor comes up behind you who's a little bit irritating and you have a hard time with. In this moment, right there, right in that moment, you have a vast array of choices. Now, your own toxic conditioning may predispose you to saying, well, I must turn around and I must say hello. And so I will go do this. In freedom, this is free. But you could choose a number of any options. Now, the way I make it sound easy when I'm talking to people and my students is I say you can choose from fear, which is the basis of most conditioning, or you can choose from clarity, which is very different. Clarity is always at the other end of stillness, but once you spend enough time with stillness, clarity is very available for you, very accessible. So now in any moment, you can choose fear or clarity. And fear, when you make a choice from fear, it will run this experience for you. If you make a choice from clarity, it runs a very different experience for you. That's experiencing evolution, thriving, safety. You choose fear, you start to choose lack, limitation, the beginnings of abuse and war, and you know. But in all this freedom, you're welcome at every moment to choose either way. So does consciousness want this choice? No. It's very, very free. But in every single moment, every single moment, clarity is equally available. In every, every, every moment. So there's no place that is so dark, that is so lost, that is so painful, that there's not a clear choice that will bring you to thrive, that will bring you to safety, that will bring you to freedom right there.
0: 100% freedom or a step in that direction?
1: Certainly a step in that direction. A step that will move you there. I love, you know what, I love the way the Christians speak about this because I think so much of Christianity is based right there in that story, which is that the story that Jesus is here for you in any moment and you are always forgiven again and again and you are always I think the way that they talk about it is you bring yourself to God and God is there for you forever, regardless of what's gone on or what's happening. And in your darkest times, they say, you know, he will pick you up or, you know, the the storyline, right? But I think it's so beautifully spoken about this piece, which is, which for me, clarity is always available. Does consciousness want you to choose clarity? I would say no. I say it's bigger It's way, way, way more free than that. You cannot believe how huge freedom is. I mean, it is one very, very, very vast eternal movement of vastness. Freedom is very, very big, so it's nice to have some rules. (laughs) And that's where the spiritual handbook, I call it the spiritual handbook, comes in, where there's higher and lower, there's good and bad, there's things of spirit are more valuable than things of money or things of body all life is valuable and eating animals is wrong, you know, and these are difficult things. It's nice to have a rule book in spiritual handbook, I call it, versus reality, which has none of that. None of that is true in reality. It's so much bigger.
0: The two points that you've made in in, in this conversation that I want to kind of reach back and bring in. One was a few minutes ago you said something about stillness enabling one to deal better with... Access clarity. Access clarity, right. And so, how do you um, culture stillness?
1: Well, I think every culture has ways that they do that, and they're so beautiful. Where I come from, which is up north in the Arctic, people go hunting. You're from the Arctic? Up from the Yukon Territory. So, yeah, yeah. So, people go hunting. They go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, things are getting stillness. a bit intense. Yeah, they just they, they get they, out in nature. They get out in quiet. nature and they're quiet and right. they stop thinking for a few days and they get some clarity. Blast I think out of some of them. Yeah, yeah. Where you are. Well <laughs> whether they do or not. Right. You know, I come from a culture that hunts for for their food. Yeah, I know. And there's who very go little and agricultural and they, just,
0: they don't ever catch anything. They just like to sit there at the side of the river
1: Yeah, I mean I I personally in this moment can't make these calls on what is the right way or wrong way to do it. But I can tell you that that's how they access stillness. Okay, Going so there's for lots hike, of ways of
0: culturing stillness. Getting
1: on a boat, sitting on your por- yeah. front porch.
0: The farmers or in or Iowa whatever. probably
1: just spend a lot of time in the evening sitting on the porch and getting to stillness. Meditation is a very beautiful way to do that because it gives you a structure. It gives you a repeatable structure. So if you find a structure that's really great for you, it's lovely. It's a it's a direct interface with it. Yeah.
0: Another question that I had based on something we spoke earlier is, you know, this whole thing about either dismissing the world as an illusion or taking it as a beautiful expression of the divine and and taking it somewhat seriously, I think it kind of relates in a way to the fact that traditionally there are two lifestyles, you know, there's a a recluse lifestyle and a, a householder lifestyle, and the vast majority of people are better suited to the latter. But a lot of the spiritual traditions, have the custodians of them have been recluses, and so they've put an emphasis on recluse values, and so there's this, all, all these books and all this talk about, oh, the world is an illusion, and you know, it's all worthless, and all that stuff. And a lot of that sort of filters or seeps into the uh, psychology of people who aren't cut out for a recluse lifestyle, but are interested in spirituality. So it kind of confuses them or perhaps even makes them impractical or something because they're, you know, they're kind of withdrawing from things in the world in a sincere desire to know God or to know true nature.
1: I think it's a great point. I think those people who are naturally introverted or extremely introverted, I think a recluse lifestyle is actually quite fulfilling. And it's a beautiful fulfillment of coming to know God and coming to know oneself as that experience. So I would call it more like introverted versus extroverted experiences of God because an extrovert is not going to do great in a reclusive way. And vice versa. And vice versa. So I would define it in those ways. And I would also suggest that the discovery of stillness itself is still rather new for our world and we have these early teachers that we know like jesus or buddha or confucius where their only teaching is really like ps there's god <laughs> like and then and i feel like even but when we come up to today this is of course my vast generalization here we come up to today where we have an amazing, amazing amount of teachers and so many of them masterful in different perspectives, we're still very much on the threshold of PS, there's stillness. If we look at someone like Eckhart, who's the the big gun out there with five, 10, 25 million people that he's connecting with, I mean, his teaching is this big, right? PS, there's stillness. And it's still 25 million versus the three point whatever billion or seven billion on our planet, right? It's so small, right? So for the whole world, this is enough right now. And that's radical. And let's say following up behind him, this is just my story here. Say following up behind him is someone like Byron Katie or something that goes, P.S., question your thoughts.
0: So they each have a tool.
1: It's just this one tiny little yeah. tool. This it's guy a has a screwdriver, and this yeah. one has a pair of pliers, yes. and you know. And, and that's, who's re- that's the forefront reaching so many people because it's radical. Now someone like myself, and I'd put someone like Jeff Foster in the category of me, I am really at the very leading edge frontier that says, and so how do you live your life? What does it look like? And this is a much more challenging place. From the perspective of, P.S., there's stillness. Like, this is actually woof, this is shifting into there.
0: mainstream. Everybody's starting to talk about embodiment. But yeah. do they
1: live it? To actually live well, it is a real thing. They're, they're getting to,
0: concerned with it. Let's say they're you know. getting
1: concerned with it. Okay. Like
0: Adya and Francis Bennett did this thing about a year ago all about that point. I and, know, and which was, makes
1: me laugh. Yeah, Adya was saying, 10 years
0: ago I tried to talk about that and nobody wanted to hear it. Now we're talking about it.
1: But Adya doesn't have karma. He didn't have much karma. He came with very little toxic conditioning. So he has not had to figure out how to live his life from toxic conditioning. Being awakened doesn't suddenly let all your conditioning go. It doesn't the lie or the myth of the story is that if I get awakened, this little apparatus, what I'm calling the apparatus that makes me identified dissolves. And therefore, poof, all my conditioning goes. Except in reality, we can see that is 100% not true. Go look at anybody who became enlightened. It's not true. So someone like Aja, who is Ultimately, I mean, I cannot respect this man it's enough. It's just that He's conditioning no longer binds.
0: They have conditioning, but it no longer binds. Is that, they're not, that, identified say that? they're not identified with it, so they're
1: not bothered by the fact that it, it's happening.
0: Right. It's irrelevant. And some of that conditioning can be... Sexist. Weird. Illegal,
1: it, even. It can be illegal. It can, we see this all over. Yeah. We see it happening everywhere. This, but the, the one who's conditioned this way is not bothered because they're not identified but it doesn't change the conditioning. We have to heal. What Audra would call an internal revolution, I call healing. And so when we look at someone who is this great, like, again, who I respect so much, he's extraordinary as a teacher, he's not who you're going to go to with an extreme anxiety disorder. He doesn't know anything about it. He loves you. And when you ask the question, his entire being wants to answer it for you because he loves you and wants to help, but he's never, he doesn't know what it is, what it's looked like, how to root it out, how to get it out of the system. Like he doesn't know. So, so he'll give you brilliant advice about reality, but he's not going to give you the nitty gritties where someone like Jeff Foster, who has had, you know, some real conditioning and had to get through it, is gonna give you a very different perspective and it's a direct experience. So I'd say to live in your own life, awake or not awake, but to live it in freedom, to live your relationships, to live every house, your house of relationship, your house of finance, your connection to God, your connection to your body. These houses need healing. And that's how we, the more we heal, the more free we are, the more he, we heal, the more free we are, the more he, and that is a journey of embodiment. And the reason that's my specialty is because there ain't no one who's got worse conditioning or harder conditioning than me. <laughs>
0: there may be a few, but you, I've never <laughs> you're met in them. the big leagues.
1: I've, I'm in the big leagues. I come yeah. from severe ritual abuse. I have an adult teenagehood and early adulthood filled with multiple sexual traumas and attacks and I've been beaten, I've been Yukon? raped, I've been up everywhere my, oh. in my life as I live. So I'm you know as know dark as it gets. Yes, me and Teal are sisters. Like
0: yeah, I'm her. Teal.
1: Teal and I yeah. are the same. Like That's the dark karma that I have lived.
0: You know one thing I was wondering? You have a lot of wisdom and a lot of clarity and everything, and so this may be a sort of a silly point, but maybe you could comment on it, though, because some people might be wondering this, and that is that... A lot of times when people undergo a lot of severe trauma, they, they have this disassociative disorder, which in some way resembles awakening because there's detachment, a sense of not being the body, things like that. So how would you contrast or compare some sort of disassociation with actual b- the breaking of identification in, in the spiritual, spiritual sense?
1: That's a really good question. I just finished writing a big essay about it, frankly. I have a book. It's a free book on my website now. It's called From Fear to Freedom, and I talk about the very detailed aspects of fear and how fear moves in your body. And, it, and I close the book with a chapter on disassociation because disassociation doesn't actually come from fear. It's not actually a movement of resistance. It's a very different movement. And uh, I have heard other teachers who don't have a direct experience of disassociation refer to it as some kind of extreme avoidance or something escape. like this, yeah. escape.
0: Multiple personality related. Yeah, it's related. totally
1: wrong. They're totally, totally wrong. Hmm. I know dissociation really well. And we're sitting here, my mother is sitting here while we're doing this conversation. And she has many, many nights that I was in, you know, sometimes I would disassociate for weeks and I she would receive a phone call and she would have to talk me through, what's your name? Where, like, where do you look around, Kieran, and see if you can see a street sign? Let's see what town you're in. Let's Like, she would have to talk me through because it would be...
0: And, and this is because of your trauma, not, this because my of trauma. Your, not your spiritual awakening. No, this
1: is my trauma yeah. in my early life is trauma. Yeah. So I have a very deep relationship with disassociation, I know what it is exactly. And basically when we have trauma, trauma stores inside of our body. Period. Everybody across the board. Especially when we're little people, we don't have an ability to process trauma. It doesn't come till much later. Fourteen, fifteen is where it starts to begin. But we're really in our twenties before an ability to process a psych which is a psychological thing can happen. This is not developed. So our family as much as they love us, as big-hearted as they are. They don't have any skills (laughs) or any tools. And both my mother and my father had no right to have children. They had not a single skill or, you know, they, they weren't prepared for it. My trauma happened at my father's home, but... As a little person, trauma happens, and the body starts just gyrating with the emotion of it and the intensity of it, and our primal survival instincts, which is a whole wired system in our body, comes up, grabs it, and encapsulates it and buries it in the tissue of our body, in the connective tissue, which is all around our body. Now you're moving along in your life and life happens to hit up against these buried traumas and they trigger us. These are triggers and everybody has them. Everybody has trauma. Everybody has triggers. Now when the trigger happens, if what's coming up is too stressful for the organism, primal survival hits a switch and takes you out, which is what disassociation is. It's like, I call it recess for big kids who have too much stress. And basically it's like it flips a switch. You're in recess. And my tool for everyone, I say to everyone, do not fear, fear it. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not something that there's something terribly wrong with you. Everybody's going to do it in our spiritual path. We're going to go looking for a lot of things that they did not teach us in kindergarten and we're going to come face to face with parts of ourselves and there'll be times when it's just stressful and we need a time out and i always say to people then you just get low if you're too far from your own bed wherever low is it's if there's some grass if there's like get low oh, literally get low literally Get Lie low, on the like Lay on the ground. Exactly. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a place that feels safe. Make body positions that feel safe. That make you feel safety. It's just basically too much stress. We're taking you out. Now find safety. And eventually you'll make it home to your own bed, however long that takes. And once you're there, it could take anywhere from a few hours to a few days for the body to reset and get you back in the game. And it's great. I mean it's, I mean, it's a great thing to do is, like, lay down and be still. And if you have kids or family, they can crawl into bed with you. Everybody could use a few hours to a few days of just chilling out and being safe. And
0: we all have little furry mammals somewhere back in the recesses of our brain.
1: Yeah, a little primal mind that's at work here. And it's, it runs the body yeah. in a very dominant way, fight or flight. All of our endocrine system is entirely wired to this entire, you know, the pituitary, the hypothalamus, all our endocrine glands. I mean, this is where our trauma and our responses are. So we can question our thoughts and question our mind, but you got buried trauma. You're going to have to find it. You're going to have to dig it out so that this doesn't happen. So disassociation for me is very literally that movement. It's very literally that experience. And it's a very normal, normal experience for everybody, in spiritual work, in deep meditation, healing any kind of trauma therapy, and directly coming up against, you know, you wander into that vast field of stillness, which is here right now in this moment. You're saturated in it. It's looking out your eyes, is listening to my words right now. This is Ever since you first opened your eyes as a new body, you have been home in this vast stillness. But when your awareness, which is usually captivated with thoughts, comes right up against it and starts to explore what's here, that primal survival system goes and sends a massive jolt of fear through your system because it's wired to separation. It's wired to a separate body from this body, and this is a potential threat to this one, says primal survival. So when we come up against this vast stillness, the first thing that's there is there's no separation, all one, which is home and is our actual survival system, because clarity lives there, and clarity has been keeping us safe. If we relied on this primal system, we would have been dead a long time ago. It's our actual survival system is clarity.
0: So to summarize then, what is the distinction between disassociation due to, as, as a reaction or response to trauma and liberation in the sense of being freed of identification as happened to you later on?
1: Yeah. Disassociation is a movement of primal survival from clarity, not fear, but to take us out and give us a break. It's not a movement where we come to know our true nature and we come home to ourselves. But they have a lot of similarities in the sense that neither are particularly in our control. <laughs> we can't control this association. Right. So it's what not the,
0: so this, we we can sort of see the similarities. What are the differences? or the what is the core difference?
1: When you come to know your true nature um, awakened or not, there's a very deep sense of familiarity, of safety, of of wow, of awe, of magic, of great relief. When you are disassociated, you are somewhere who knows where curled small into your, to your body or you've left your body and there's a tremendous diso- disorientation. In
0: this is this true nature or... or uh, disassociation. disassociation. Yeah. Let, me, let me throw this at you. Yeah. When I was talking to Teal Swan, she was advocating kind of out-of-body experiences as a technique yeah. of some sort. And I, I said to her, I said, you know, I mean, your true nature is not... It's, it's universal, it's fundamental, it's everywhere. And so this out-of-body experience thing seems to me to be just a sort of a form of disassociation where you're, you're taking some aspect of your individuality and separating it from some other aspect of your individuality. And to, to my way of understanding, that bears little relevance to liberation which is settling into the ground of being which is on the present universal yeah. uh, so would that pertain teacher. to this conversation here yeah, as a way of does. describing the difference between dissociation and liberation
1: yeah you, i think you're really articulate and true it's right what you're saying teal is a, an amazing teacher and she affects a lot of people and she's, she affects me she's an amazing amazing person and God, she's so brave and courageous. I mean, to stand where we stand and do what we do given the past that we have had is acts of unbelievable courage. So she's so inspiring to me, and she touches me all the time with her work. She is a spiritual teacher, and she's very interested in showing you how to explore, let's say, for lack of better words, the fourth dimension, which is also the fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth dimension. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff here in the universe, you know, and this is third dimension. Here we all are in third dimension. So most of her work, which is beautiful and has a lot to offer, is about exploring these other dimensions, now, let's say that our true nature is zero dimension. Let's, just for lack of better ability, let's say it's inside, not outside. It's not the universe, it's your true nature. It's ground. So we go ground, and then we've got first through third dimension is home, true nature, being, body, embodiment. And that's maybe the maybe the vast difference between Teal and I is I teach reality. I'm a I'm a non-dual teacher. I talk about our true nature. Teal is none of those things. Teal is a teacher, a spiritual teacher, to help you explore all these other amazing dimensions. Now, if that's where you're called to go, great. If where you're actually called to go is, I say in. I say like the universe is a big big bad place, man. You can get everything is there angels and angelic realms and our Akashic records, but also demons and hell realms. And if you open yourself up, you better have some skill and tools to figure out how to navigate this incredible Audubon of stuff versus true nature is none. I mean, all of it is light. And that's the thing. I think the beautiful thing between Teal and I which is the same is that in my experience of life, I have very literally looked at the devil the way nobody has, has. like, I know bad, you cannot scare me because I have lived it, but I have lived it and seen it was God. I have seen the light. I have seen it was a dream. It was an illusion. It's literally made of light. And I've looked at God and seen the devil. (laughs) <laughs> and seen I've looked at the light and seen the form it can take as pure darkness and pure sure. evil,
0: so because if there's really only one reality then what is the dark stuff made of? Light. Must be made of that Must same reality. Must made
1: of light. <laughs> and when I work with, because I do have a branch in my private practice of working with ritually abused people because nothing like, you know, like nothing like direct experience to help. And the kind of liberation, if you look at Teal's life or if you look at my life, it's extraordinary A, that we could survive, but B, that we could have these lives. It's such a testament to what kind of healing is possible for all of us. And so when I work with people who have come from, from very dark abuse, I'm always pointing for them to discover themselves, which is very available, the light in those dark. When their body memories come up and it's so horrifying and it's more than what any single person's psyche could even handle has happened to them, but when they can look back in memory and peel through and see that it was light, it was just light, it can just, oh, I can just liberate that trauma.
0: Incidentally, for those who are interested in this topic of abuse and having a happy outcome eventually <laughs> after having <laughs> been happy abused, then one other interview you might want to check out is Shelley Ray, whom I interviewed some months ago. You know Shelly?
1: I've heard that she's great, though. I've yeah, heard that she's really I mean, she lovely. was raped
0: by her father from the age of 9 through 14 and then got heavily into drugs for many years, all kinds of drugs and, and tents, and came out the other side.
1: Our ability to heal is infinite. It's amazing. It's always available. And same like the body's ability to heal. We're just light. We're just a dream. We can dream pretty much anything. But we need to be able to clear out the conditioning in order to do that. So our conditioning limits it.
0: All right, we've been going for an hour. I haven't <laughs> asked any of these questions yet.
1: Should we ask um, some questions?
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm going to ask a few of the questions that um, some of... Uh, Kieran's friends and students have submitted. The first is from Gloria. She asks Many fear the cave mentality of withdrawing from the world when they hear realized beings speak. I'd love for you to address just how much the realized being is truly here. I'd love for you to unpack the paradox right down to the depth of our formless nature and form as a movement. Thank you, sister. Lord.
1: <laughs> so this is a great question and it's similar to what you were asking about recluse versus versus living our lives as householders and things like that. But I think the heart of what she's asking here is really about an awakened life is not a life that is without form or without difficulty. It's not like our bodies go away, our, our relationships go away, and I think a lot of people fear that that would occur. So... I'll just use my own life as an example. I had this really tough conditioning, you know, from a child, but a large part of the conditioning I got as a child was that there was, that my body was shameful and it was a justification of why all the violence could happen to my body. But I certainly became a card carrying member of. A story about bodies having to be a certain shape, a certain look, and that equals valuable or beautiful. So I was, prior to awakening, a card-carrying member of this. And I lived as, I was a, a dancer and an actor, so I was like a professional athlete, which really made me very aligned to this story about what a body should look like and what size it should be. And so I lived with this. However, I always lived with this incredible paradox, which is that I have this body and this is a voluptuous body. This is a very curvaceous, big body versus that story. This.
0: I'm laughing because my wife says the word that way too, voluptuous, but it's actually voluptuous. But,
1: but
0: it's sort of better. Makes Blump. more sense as voluptuous. Voluptuous.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I have this body. I've always had this body. Even when I was dancing, I had this body professional, as a professional. So my reality, let's say, was very different than what my conditioned beliefs were. And then the paradox that that put me in, it strung me between these two opposing ends. One being my conditioning, which I was so deeply conditioned in my personal life at home, but also we have this big collective story. And we have these big collective beliefs. They absolutely start to create such a sticky thickness when it matches this big cultural belief. So I'm a card-carrying member, it's very, very thick about what a woman's body is supposed to be, what shape it is. In reality, I have a very beautiful, beautiful, strong fit, full of soft curves and beautiful flesh, and that's the reality. And because this polar extreme has been my life, it has literally made me, it has made me who I am today. It has brought me to an immense freedom. And that freedom has been because I have had to dive so deeply past this story to get to reality, to get free. I had to go to truth because this is so freaking painful. And as I dive through that place, I meet layers and layers and layers of where this horrible story, which is totally not true. It's completely a lie. It's so petty. It's so stupid. It completely, you know, humanity has got extraordinary spectrum of beauty. We have such mediated political stupid storylines about, I don't know, body fat percentages and fitness. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. I lived the lie and was in tremendous, tremendous pain constantly. And so to get out of the pain, which is the journey of all of us with all of our conditioning, whatever the conditioning is, it hurts so bad because the lie, because it's a lie and we have to find truth and we have to dive incredibly deep past these conditioned lies to find the ground of truth. For me to find the ground of truth, because even after my mind blew a fuse and that apparatus and that identification wasn't there, the conditioning still moved through. A deep conditioning of all this petty crap, pulling out the lies, pulling out the lies, pulling out the lies, meant coming right into my body and finding literally all this buried trauma, like in my whole endocrine system. And the lies, not just I wish I was this body. The, the lie is also I'm terrified to be this body because that makes me available for harassment and abuse and pain. I'm afraid to be seen. I'm afraid to be beautiful. People will harm me if that's the case. And then there's flip sides of other beliefs where it's like I, I am valueless and I have nothing, no agency and no power unless I'm that body. And this is all wired in my whole system. So I have to go to these, There, it's in my solar plex, it's in my liver, it's in my ovaries, it's in my chest. Like It has to be unstrung, but as it gets unstrung, A, it's the most unbelievable adventure. I mean, healing is the most extraordinary adventure, and people think healing is you call an offside, you have a bunch of cathartic reliefs, and then game on, which is not healing at all. Healing puts you so deep into living because it puts you into truth. You have to find truth, and that brings you into life. And so in that journey where I started to really find truth and living, I started to find such immense love and and when you find truth and you find reality where our bodies are unbelievable they're woven of light the most light is our bodies more than animals more than the ocean and trees when you see where how I see which is I can where I see the light more than I can see the forms the bodies are just these emanations of unbelievable light and intelligence and beauty. And it's so petty and ridiculous to have a story called It's Not This Shape or It's This Age. You know, this is an old body and this is a young body. This is an able body and this is a disabled body. This is a black body and this is a white body. This is a, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, 22 year old. So it has value. And this one that is 75 and brown and you know, able and disabled, you know, is, is so insane. There's no reality to it. But that journey to, to dig, 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 dig and find the pool of what you, you don't just find a place where there's no longer that belief. You, f- you come home to what is really here, which is such immense so love and I awe.
0: I people are listening to this. They're saying, OK, sounds great. Karen's been doing this. It seems to have helped her a lot. I want to do it, too. What do I do? So how do I start?
1: Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to first be aware of how fear and conditioning is playing on us. So, well, actually, I have exactly the map for you because I've, I've just finished writing a new book about the body and it's all about the body. So we've just finished this book. And so the first thing we do, need to do is learn how to listen to the body because this incredible intelligence is here. And it's we have not even scratched the surface when we listen to doctors and nutritionists who are valuable and there's great points but versus what our own body has to tell us. So first we have to listen to our own bodies and we have to understand the intelligence that's there. We have to learn how to do that.
0: Keep keep, keep the how in mind as you you say this. So the first thing we need to do is is learn
1: how to listen to our body and how we do it. I begin in my book with listening, how to learn how to listen to your belly and your actual belly will start to tell you incredibly, incredibly how to eat. And I've been teaching a class on body for a couple of years now and all students from all over the world. The most amazing journey happens when we start to learn how to listen to our bodies. It's a comp. It's a little bit of a complicated process and we have just a bit of time, but here's your quick route. Step one learn how to listen to your belly. That's going to start with the basic nutrition, and it'll start to teach you how to listen, because your exercise and your sleep and everything is about that. Very quickly, you will come up against your own conditioned storyline, and if I I still held a conditioned storyline that my body had to be this shape to be beautiful, had to be this shape to be fit, had to be this shape, I could not hear my own body's voice. And when we start to listen to our limitations, all of those lacks. We have to discover our lacks and our storylines and conditionings of that. So in my book, I have a whole chapter about how to start to isolate and find those. And how to understand what equals true self-esteem or the kind of awe that our bodies are and beauty that we are and how to see that, which we naturally see. You see it when you go to the ocean. You don't look at the ocean and go, well, you know, if this ocean was a little bit smaller around the edges and if this ocean was a little more blue instead of green, you know, then it would be beautiful, right? We never do that, It's it, because the movement of the ocean affects us, and that effect is beauty. And bodies are very similar across the board. They affect us, they're beautiful. And so when we can find that ground, we have to dig out all the, these conditioned, card-carried storylines. Most of us have it around age, around body, around fitness, around ability. When we can dig out those lies, We start to be able to come much more able to listen to the body itself Then we have to come into those deeper healings because then you're going to come face to face with I'm listening to the body And this is still very much where I live today. I'm still in this path where i listening to the body, and certainly given the the massive stress of my childhood and the extreme post-traumatic stress disorder, the endocrine system is wiped out, you know, those adrenals were spent by the time I was 17, so the hormone imbalance is crazy. And so the adrenals, organs have this endless ability to heal. I mean, we can see this medically, that the organ's ability to heal and rejuvenate is limitless, it's amazing. But it can't so long as it's got all this deep conditioning still in there, these fears, these terrors. So it's not until we begin to upravel, like bring all that to surface. And so the back half of this book is how to work with those deeper core traumas and how to start to find them and just lay them out. Because once we're listening to our body, once we've thrown away the petty belief systems and we're much more capable of knowing what truth and reality is, then we're still going to come face to face with traumas held in the body and anything, any kind of physical thing we have with our bodies, any condition, any illness, any ability or disability or that kind of stuff is all going to stem from these deeper pains, these deeper traumas, and they need to be brought out of the body. That is an extraordinary journey you do not want to miss. Like you want a front, you want to be the front seat pass to your own transformation of your body. Like it's unbelievable, unbelievable. It's climbing Mount Everest a hundred times. It's so sweet. It's so beautiful. And that journey. It has made me, this is where I tell people all the time, don't be afraid of your karma. Your karma is what will make you. I was strung between these polar ends and working in a profession that defined these polar ends. And I was a card-carrying member of This is a beautiful body, which kept me out, kept me unspecial, not valuable, not beautiful. You know, it kept me on the outside the whole time, my own storyline. And that strung was so, so, so painful. And to come home to a place where the body is so loved and seen as beautiful and listened to so that all of the healing that needs to happen can start to happen and the body tells me how and it's a journey it's not a snap your fingers and you're there i suspect it's a journey that goes your entire life of the body i think it never changes the chemistry of our bodies changes the shapes of our bodies the abilities the the movements and we can listen to our body and find what needs support so you know i'm in an amazing process right now where i'm working with all kinds of nutritional support which I think of like crutches until my endocrine system can stand on its own. I have these little crutches of how I eat and exercise and do all my stuff but in that journey I can't believe the stories that my endocrine's been holding and and the pain of my body and how extraordinary my body has been given what's actually here that needs to be healed. and. I cannot stand here. I can only ever tell you my direct experience, but from somebody who has no ability to identify, and I still heal, I'm still healing. Healing happens here. And it happens from a place of immense love and needing so deeply defined reality. So is this the life of a householder or like you know, does a cave mentality, like if we're talking about recluse versus living in your life, I don't think we can miss this journey.
0: Yeah. I think it's probably a little tangential to that, to, to that uh, you know, consideration of householder versus recluse, because, I mean, there are plenty of recluse yogis who have spent decades trying to purify their bodies through various practices and austerities and yoga and everything like it's that. It's
1: a different level, though, when you're pushed up against a whole community that's telling me what shape my body should be. I mean, I think if you look at the, like we talked about this before, I mean, somebody literally wrote in the comments, this woman is so overweight, who could listen to this woman, you know, like on the butt at the gas pump, like some story of this. Now, who cares? Obviously, this person has some serious delusions and some problems and obviously lives with more pain than I live. But ultimately, when I'm pushed up against a society that's projecting a story on me, that's going to put pressure on my karma in a way that I couldn't in a cave. Mm. Now, cave gives you some space, and it's a beautiful thing, and I think ultimately our journeys and our lives are going to be some cave and some community. In my work as a teacher, I have these, the way I've organized the teachings is... Is on these levels first let's free your mind then let's move into the body then let's get some deep accelerated healing for all these deep pieces now we need to learn how to navigate this effortless if it's all a dream and we can have anything in the dream how, how do you do that unless we have liberated our minds lived, come into our bodies healed all the big pieces we can't really fly there Then I have a level called mastery, and it's all about community. It's just 100% community. It's a social, I call it a social platform for the sane and conscious, which I think is really cheeky. But basically, A, it's really fun to play with community when everybody's sane. So accessing clarity and never fooled by fear, that's a joy. But also, once you reach that place of sanity, you're still in a world where mostly everybody's insane. And you're still going to be possibly possibly in your marriage, you're the same one versus your kids, your partner, your work relationships, and you love these people and this is your life. So we need real skills on how to navigate that role, you know, of like, how do you be the point of clarity when everyone else has such a deep current of fear and how do you move that? That's at the mastery level. I, I have about a, you know, half a dozen people in that, that level right now to work and play and and share together and figure all that sort of stuff out but there's a point in our personal evolution you have to come out of the cave regardless because you have to have this collective belief system push against to root out those last bits of stories of limitation that are limiting your freedom and only community can do that and that is the gift also no one wants to miss that you know if there's a sane pathway to be in community it's refuge it's ourselves it's love it's it's such an essential part of our journey and it's so valuable but it's it's a skill
0: there's a beautiful point during the end of the 10th mandala of the Rig Veda you know how that goes Mark? It's something about a community is significant in unity and, and and the collection of the enlightened or something is so much more than the sum of its parts. And I don't know, it goes on very poetically and beautifully, but... but um... There's tremendous potential in that. I I think you're alluding to something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's twofold, right? When you bring a whole lot of this powerful, beautiful energy together of a lot of sane people meditating together, there's a lot of powerful work that can be done in terms of world peace and world issues because there's not an agenda. There should not be a war. There should not be a war. We should be eating animals. We should not. If there's no agenda and it's just pure... Vast stillness that can basically help to open up possibilities of clarity. That's you know the work. So it's so great to dance together to he- to do this, like to heal our world and to work on projects. But we have freedom, so it's not an agenda base. It's all fun. But then at the same time, to be able to get to a place, this is really the this is really the catalyst to get to a place where you see your community, even if they are wildly insane, as Unbelievable catalyst filtering your own story back to you, and that this is all just one. And so, my neighbor who is bringing the chipper on and chipping all the trees at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning is a glorious movement of myself to either help me bring agency to my rage, you know, because it's a great way to bring it up. Or it's a glorious aspect of some deeper dance, you know, and to be able to actually function in everyday life like that. So let's go back to Joe Schmo at the beginning. So my beautiful Josephine Schmo, who is just one of many, 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 you can just go onto my website. You'll see many of my students that are like this, but she, I hope she's okay with me telling this story, even though it's not her name. So she was in a meeting with two upper level bosses that came in and it was supposed to be like a, just a kind of evaluation of where we are today. Anyways, they came in and these guys lost their shite. Like they just went insane and totally it started attacking her in a really inappropriate way. And she sat in that meeting and went, wow, this is really bringing up how much I want people to like me like I can see this belief system she just in her own set how she was not like oh my god I might be losing my job and what's happening and how could I have been so wrong and why are they talking to me like this she just sat there like wow because she just felt this whole pressure on that belief system and she just watched the whole belief system came up and then she got in her car and she drove home and the whole time because she called me later and told me about this and she said the whole time she was just saying thank you like not from some freaking mindfulness practice or some teaching or some just it was a true movement in herself to just go oh my god thank you and this just this grin of just like I know exactly where that belief is <laughs> I can see the history of it I felt it I'm gonna go home and pull that sucker out because wow and and just this like thank you because the sweetness of that the beauty of that it's way better than anything else it's so fulfilling and it's it was just such a fulfilling moment so that my friends is clarity yeah. and that is needing some community and now remember josephine schmo is not she's not clear she's not like she's not an awakened clarity she's a human with very l- little limited conditioning now
0: yeah and That's a nice so, story though because we've all heard the saying that Everything God does is for the best, and that the world is my guru, and that you know things don't happen capriciously or arbitrarily, that there's a, a meaning or a value or an evolutionary purpose to every little thing that happens I and mean, we've heard these philo- philosophical things, and you know it's a little bit harder to live that in the thick of it but there's an example of someone who took a difficult situation and did just that and it was never difficult for her yeah, she the,
1: never experienced she it as a like difficult situation perceived
0: it as an evolutionary opportunity
1: yeah exactly and that's exa- that's it exactly Carlos Castaneda teacher about it. Don
0: Juan Matus used to talk about the value of uh, being under the influence of a petty tyrant Uh, because it would sort of help you to work out your stuff a a lot more effectively than if your life was just sort of easy-peasy.
1: Yes, and it gives you an extraordinary life. That's what I, like my petty tyrant was this card-carrying, ridiculous belief system about what my body should look like. And it was so painful and awful, and it made me, and it gave me an extraordinary ability to know self-love, like if I had not had that belief, if I had not had that petty tyrant, I would not have this, if I just had some easy body that could eat anything it wanted and was whatever, was part of that storyline, I would never have questioned that story and I would have never found the kind of love of body and what body really is. Like I would have never found that ground of reality and it was my petty tyrant that brought me there.
0: Let's see if we can get another question in here. It might be related to what you just said. This is from someone named Maurice. He said, my question is, is it worth it? With all the extreme shit you've gone through based on where you are now, was the pain and suffering worth it?
1: That's a great question from Maurice, yeah. Was it worth it? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. I had this... um
0: I guess one question might be, well, was what worth it? Because you went through a horrendous childhood and adolescence, so... Uh, is that worth it? Is he asking, or is it worth it? The, all the all the transformational stuff you've had to go through since your awakening. But let's it would, assume
1: it's that. It let's would seem to that. me
0: that the the transform the whole post awakening phase is a lot more enjoyable than the pre awakening phase, where you're getting, you know, abused and all that in, stuff. In
1: my experience, because my karma was so dark, the actual awakening for me, which was spontaneous and I knew nothing about it, it was just a spontaneous mind wipe. That actually was a bigger hell. Than the hell it was almost like my childhood was a boot camp to get me ready for the kind of hell So the first 5 years a because i suddenly had no mind and filters uh, that could block, block or, or repress, repress so yeah. i was face planted with an immense so amount just of dark karma as, as fast
0: as it as wanted to as fast as it wanted
1: to yeah. and also it was such a massive opening like, literally, no form for many, 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 many months. Like, I couldn't find bodies and walls and things, which brought me to such an immense clairvoyancy. And there was nobody home doing nothing at all and it was nothing here and it was all a dream and yet these huge karmic movements globally like you know whole Mongolian wars like an orphanage from the 17th century would just pour through me and I had no filters so I was witnessing I was pure love witnessing pure hate and not just hate, but pure violence, pure abuse. Were you like serving as a awful. washing machine for
0: that stuff? Do you feel like I you were cleaning it up and resolving it?
1: Definitely, because in, in the many years since similar experiences happen to me all the time and now I can navigate them and they're very sweet it feels much like making love or something quite honestly when they happen to me and it's very clear sometimes it's it's you know people have died and they don't know they've died or there's movements and a world event or something that'll just clear itself through me and it's a sweet thing but back then it was just like Wah! and I often I felt like I lived like the exorcist like, like my head spun around I was constantly kundalini and shaking and I I'd have like 16-hour-day seizures. That was just Kundalini moving this extraordinary movement. Like there was no functioning. It was insane. There was these five years of just pure pain and and being pure love, witnessing pure pain, and mm. it was very very hard.
0: Incidentally, one thing I learned since our last interview and learned it quite recently and, and since interviewing Joan Harrigan, who, wrote, who has the Kundalini Care Institute in Tennessee and wrote Kundalini Vidya, is that um, for some, uh, traumatic experiences can initiate or instigate a Kundalini awakening, uh, you know, severe tr- trauma stuff. And... Um, it almost seems like that was your path you know <laughs> you, <now> you <laughs> may have done stuff in previous lives that, that made you more sort of ready for a Kundalini awakening but you know I, I, I've talked to several people since then who said yeah I've, I've gone, I went through all this intense stuff one friend said I was tortured in a past life another said I was raped in a past life uh, a lot well, and they kind have of woken their Kundalini and, and then in this life they, they took a different path but.
1: well the truth is is every one of us have we've all been thrown on the stake and burnt as witches we've all been the accusers that accuse the witches we've all been the, the we've all been raped and violated we've all been at war we've all been slaves we've all been murdered. we've all we've been, been men been we've all been women we've mm-hmm. all yeah we've been the judge we've been the judge judgey the victim in the judge. we've right. all been it all in all kinds of lifetimes like but apparently at a certain moment. point
0: there's this thing called kundalini awakening which maybe doesn't happen until there a is certain a c- point
1: i don't i don't subscribe to any of that story but i totally understand people do when I talk about kundalini, it's just simply presence. It comes when you walk in the forest. Yeah, it but you're talking so nice.
0: about 16-hour-day convulsions, kundalini stuff going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm talking about is when you walk in the trees in the forest, you feel an energy come off. It's why you like being in the trees. That's presence. That's just pure energy. Every being emanates a pure energy. Kundalini is basically that same energy, but it's jacked up at a much higher power level because it has no form there's no form there's no tree there's no body so without form it comes with such an intensity it's so effortless and form is beginning to be more effort there's it takes effort there's effort in form so when pure presence moves in pure effortlessness to form, it feels like intensity. So it's super, super intense movement. Now, my experience of Kundalini, which is my own personal, but also it's like, you can take a whole bunch of drugs and have a Kundalini awakening. You can take have amazing sexual experience with some big Tantra practice and it'll open up your Kundalini. You can have a deep meditation in, in total stillness and have a Kundalini. You can do it through a Kundalini yoga practices. You can also do it through severe trauma and severe abuse. And all it is doing is this Presence that's coming off of you right now Me right now, the trees, the forest All that's happening is a little Channel where there's no form Is slipping through the body And you can have it when you're working with an energy worker. You could just, somebody referred you to an energy worker, you started working with them and opened up this Kundalini, which is your own presence, which you always had with you. And it's beginning to move in a way that's formless. And it comes through and it hits a block, hits these emotional blocks, these these blocks in our bodies, and it bangs against them. And that's where people get the heat and this flips out and the epileptics and the, the kind of movements. I tell people it's like a hose. If you turn your hose on full blast and there's kinks in your hose... Right. it's going to flip around. Yeah. And so a lot of the work I teach and I teach about healing when I'm working with people at Kundalini is how to hold the hose straight so that the kinks get blown out with the water with, so it doesn't have to happen just from the energy itself. But I don't subscribe to a story that there's a certain thing you did in another life that made you available in this life. Because we've all been it all, yeah. <laughs> every one of us. Okay. It's just one here. No
0: problem. So we have to wrap it up because I have to catch a ferry to go to another island. So what would you like to say in conclusion to leave people with? Obviously, come to your website because they're going to find out a lot. In Lots there, of tools
1: on the website. I only do very few lot. Mostly it's courses and privates. I don't do sot song. It's it's just not a business model that works for me. In my industry, that's the business model. <laughs> it doesn't work for me. But I will be in LA and then Ojai in November. So it'll be the only time this year you could see me in person on your website. That's all on my website. I think I'm really grateful. I think the moral of Maurice's story about uh, was it worth it? I have so much gratitude in a way that is not a practice way, you know, not, not in a like daily gratitude practice way, but it's just a natural way that I move every day where there's just so much life and I'm so extraordinarily amazed at the life. And I'm so touched at each of us uniquely and who we are and what we've done and what we're working with and, and the kind of evolution that we're doing. And God, that's, it, just, it just makes my heart so bow down in gratitude for the whole thing. So it's so been worth it. It's been such an extraordinary journey. And, the, and I don't think we need to miss the journey, any of us. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be afraid of our karma. It will make us. And if you're a card-carrying member of "I need to be enlightened," and I am not, that's your polar That's going to make you. Whatever your journey is, it's an amazing journey not to be missed. It's it's beautiful, and I'm grateful.
0: It's all God entertaining Himself.
1: Yeah, in the most <laughs> glorious way. Yeah.
0: All right. Great. Well, let thank let me you. Make a couple of concluding remarks. Um, it's been a lot of fun you and i could go on all day <laughs> <laughs> easily you know.
1: which you may in coming days yeah. <laughs> but not not for the camera <laughs> right
0: and uh, for those watching you've probably seen some of my interviews before if you haven't then uh, there's a website batgap.com where they're all archived and categorized in five or six four or five different ways under the past interviews menu um there's the future interviews menu you can see what's upcoming there's a lot going on this fall there's the donate button, which I always mention in passing. I like to kind of keep a light touch on that, but it's essential for making this possible. There's a place to sign up to be notified by email each time uh, new interview is posted, usually once a week. And there's an audio podcast, which is almost uh, has as many listeners as the YouTube channel has viewers. And there's a place on the site to sign up for the audio podcast. So check all that stuff out. And there will be a link to Karen's website, probably to her new book and her old book and everything else. So you can click on those. And um, I hope that you've enjoyed this and uh, benefited from it. And um, stay tuned because I've got another five or six coming up in the next couple of weeks. So thanks for listening or watching.